Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. You know, every week I come to you and I share with you and I tell you to make sure you have a pencil, a paper, your smartphone handy, all the apps and everything to take down some valuable information. Well, this morning, I'm especially emphasizing that because my guest in a few minutes will be joined by former acting surgeon general, Dr. Kenneth Marit Sagu. Our topic, the importance of physical fitness during the COVID-19 pandemic. And as you would expect, we'll talk a lot about the effects of this pandemic on you and on this country and the vaccines. We've got a lot of information for you this morning. So whether you're preparing for a nice Sunday breakfast Chill in on a Sunday morning, and it's a little brisk, preparing for a virtual sunrise service or about to hit the roads for an early run. Remember your mask and social distancing. And as always, we thank you for making us a part of your morning. We'll discuss how to exercise safely during this pandemic and other issues with New York Sports and Beyond Returns on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. This morning, we'll chat with Dr. Kenneth Moritz Sagu. He's the former vice president for global professional education and strategic relations for Johnson & Johnson's Diabetes Solution Companies and former worldwide chairman of the Johnson & Johnson Diabetes Institute, which is a global initiative to provide awareness and training in state-of-the-art science, information, and technology relevant to diabetes prevention, awareness, diagnosis, and treatment. He was also Rear Admiral Marit Sagu. Acting Surgeon General of the United States in 2002 and again from July 2006 until his retirement from the Commission Corps of the United States Public Health Service in September of 2007. As you can imagine, as Acting Surgeon General, he served as the nation's top doctor, communicating the best available science and information to the American people to help protect, promote, and advance their health and safety. Join me in welcoming Dr. Kenneth Marit Sagu. Doctor, I'm very curious, what stimulated your interest in medicine to get you on this path? Well, uh, I have been always interested in helping individuals and helping communities. And uh, that, that's what led me to uh, uh, follow uh, medicine as a, uh, as a profession and to focus on preventive medicine as a specialty. So along with that line, how, how did you first know that that's what you wanted to do, though? Uh, it was in college uh, hmm. where I had been uh, uh, undertaking a course of study in the humanities and realized that the humanities uh, could, actually, could be uh, uh, applied uh, in, in real life uh, in medicine. And that's the reason why I decided to pursue this. And now, how did the marriage of medicine and the armed forces come about? Because easily you could have taken this knowledge and gone into private practice or either gone to a, a hospital or, or a university. Well, uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, and uh, I, I have spent nearly four decades in the uniform of the United States Public Health Service, one of the seven, now eight, uniformed services in the United States. Uh, and over my, the course of my career, I've been privileged to, to serve in a number of different uh, arenas, including medical education, uh, 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 health care delivery to medically underserved populations, and ultimately in the office of the Surgeon General as the Deputy Surgeon General and as Acting Surgeon General. 
that had to be for you, and I'm going to step in your shoes for a moment, that had to be for you the, the highest honor that you could receive that because of your dedication, your life's work, you not only served as Deputy Surgeon General, but as you mentioned, as a former Acting Surgeon General. Let's talk about your service there. What? How did you attain that position? And take me back to that moment when you first found out you were the Deputy Surgeon General. Um, it, it was, it, it was number one, it was humbling. Uh, because as a career officer in the United States Public Health Service, uh, our dedication is to protect and to advance the health and the well-being of all Americans. Um, and uh, during that career, uh, I have always focused on the individual in the community and the community which is made up of individuals. Uh, it, it was uh, sort of a natural progression into the role of the Deputy Surgeon General which is the highest-ranking career position uh, in the United States Public Health Service. So take me back to some of the things that you had to witness, some of the illnesses, some of the uh, medical attention that you had to give soldiers and, and normal people under your role there. And how did that kind of shape you into just dealing with the reality of what the imbalance sometimes in services, medical services that are provided to people depending on where they're located. Uh, and, and I think you're, you're hitting the nail right on the head, Larry, and that is that uh, while we are a very progressive and rich nation, uh, when we start uh, getting more granular, uh, there is uh, a, a real dis sense of disparities, uh, geographic disparities, as well as cultural and racial disparities in terms of health status. Uh, um, for example, uh, one of my uh, responsibilities was to uh, um, help uh, individuals, Native Americans, uh, in the western part of the United States. Uh, and uh, the, the disparities between uh, those uh, population groups and uh, majority populations was really very uh, striking. Uh, I further uh, had responsibility as the medical director for the Federal Bureau of Prisons for individuals who were incarcerated uh, in federal prisons. And that also led to my... Uh, realization that there is real disparity uh, among different population groups. Now, doctor, as you come to that realization, I guess the next step and the next question in your mind is how do we close the gap? How do we start to spread this out so that it is more even? Because after all, we're all human beings, correct? So what were some of the things that you tried to initiate to, to shrink the difference? Well, uh, there, there are, are really a number of uh, approaches to try to resolve this disparity uh, issue, uh, one of which is to have uh, additional providers who are uh, culturally and geographically sensitive uh, to those who are underserved. Uh, and that was uh, one of the activities that I undertook as the director of the National Health Service Corps, assigning health professionals 
to populations in geographic areas of medical underservice. Um, at the same time, uh, there is uh, a, a, a communication gap between uh, the health professionals as well as those whom we all serve. Uh, and therein lies uh, a, a major issue, which has to do with health literacy. Um, because, frankly, I think we doctors have a tendency to talk doctorese, uh, and by talking doctorese to our patients, uh, we are really uh, speaking beyond them over their heads, uh, and uh, that is really part and parcel of the role of the Office of the Surgeon General, to communicate the best possible information to those whom we serve in ways that they can hear the message, understand the message, embrace the message, and ultimately put that message into action. You're listening to Dr. Kenneth Morit Sugu. He is the former Surgeon General for the United States. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. When we return, why has this pandemic affected us so greatly? The conversation continues next on 98.7. ESPN. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's continue my conversation with former Acting Surgeon General, Dr. Kenneth Moritz Sagu. Doctor, I can't wait to have this conversation with you as we talk about the coronavirus from your position and experience as a former Surgeon General. What is it about this pandemic that has affected our population like this where the numbers continue to grow in, not, in, in one wave and then in the second wave? I think that the coronavirus pandemic, and it really is a pandemic, has affected our society in ways that we have never been affected before. The closest that can come to this is back uh, in the early 1900s with the Spanish flu. Um, but even with that in mind, uh, this has been the largest health challenge, I believe, uh, in our modern society. Um, given that, uh, we as Americans expect our healthcare delivery system to be there and to be able to take care of, uh, of the challenges that we are faced um, from the get-go. This has been such a, an unusual and really a novel uh, virus, a novel pandemic, that all of us around the globe and here in the United States are uh, struggling to uh, find the appropriate science and evidence, not only to treat this, uh, this infection, but also to find ways to prevent this infection. Um, and given that, our society itself uh, is, has been rocked back on its heels because of some of the uh, more uh, drastic activities that we are being asked to do uh, in order to contribute to the solution rather than continue to be part of the problem. Doctor, does it frustrate you? Uh, does it concern you? Does it baffle you? the amount of folks that in this country where we've heard on numerous occasions that wearing masks is the way to cut down the possibility of contracting the disease, that people still 
do not want to wear masks to the point that they bear arms to say that you're enforcing you're you're forcing on my my personal rights to try to force me to do something I don't want to do. Well, I, I think that uh, this issue is really a very critical issue, and it goes back to a comment that I made a few moments ago regarding health literacy. Uh, and balancing off that health literacy uh, with uh, individual uh, preferences desire, and, and desires. Um, I think that uh, it, it, if our general population would really understand the science and the evidence behind these recommendations, uh, they would be much more inclined to embrace uh, them based on the science and the evidence. Um, and unfortunately, there are individuals in our country who uh, are less inclined to pay attention to science and evidence and more inclined to uh, follow their own individual preference. Uh, there are certain activities which we as communities can do, which we as government agencies can do, but there are also activities that really lie with the individual. As I've mentioned earlier, the individual makes up the community. The community is made up of individuals. And if individuals uh, do not continue to do their part, uh, in the community, it's really difficult for the community to protect the individual. Very true. Doctor, we're going to, in a couple of minutes, go further and deeper into uh, physical fitness and the, important, and the importance of making sure you continue to do that during this pandemic and exercise and clear your mind. But I am curious uh, to talk about, from your role as a surgeon general, from your role as, as a physician, uh, the mental toll it takes on the healthcare workers who are around the clock trying to treat and save people who come into hospitals, nursing homes who have the COVID-19 virus or who obtain, who contract the virus. What is that like mentally for these healthcare workers on the front line? I, I, I've, I've got to say that I have the utmost respect for these heroes, and I underscore the word heroes, uh, of our society. Uh, rather than run away from a challenge, they are running toward the challenge. They believe that they have a professional responsibility uh, to help others heal themselves, and rather than um, uh, take care of their own personal uh, needs. They are giving of themselves uh, to other individuals who are in need of their care. Uh, given that, uh, you know, I, I really uh, admire uh, all health professionals, including our first responders, uh, who uh, continue to run toward the danger and uh, admire them for their mental resilience and their emotional resilience as well, uh, not only in putting themselves in harm's way, but also in observing 
the real tragedy that is occurring within the hospitals, within the intensive care units, as nearly 300,000 of our fellow Americans have died. Doctor, as a former Surgeon General, does our health care workers, do our health care facilities, can they sustain the pressure that we're putting on them, on the facilities and the workers for this pandemic with the numbers that we're seeing and they continue to climb? The challenge to all of us as Americans, the challenge to all of us as Americans in the healthcare system is to try to bend the curve. Um, and again, it gets back to individual responsibilities in helping the community and the community responsibilities in helping the individual. Um, by individuals helping to bend the curve, helping to reduce the transmission rates, helping to slow the hospitalization rates, um, I think that is one of the ways that we are going to be able to continue to provide those services to those who need them, uh, as opposed to everyone uh, peaking and uh, flooding our hospitals and our emergency rooms. Uh, I think that uh, we have taken steps to try to distribute uh, patients to areas where, uh, uh, where capacity is available at the same time, uh, I think that our local and our regional uh, federal, uh, officials uh, are monitoring that really closely and anticipating that if we have a surge, we could very well be overwhelmed in one or another geographic area. Now, that, that really addresses only the bricks and mortar aspects of it. Uh, the other aspect of it, the human aspect of it, is what we've been talking about just a few moments ago. The health care providers, the professionals, are heroes um, because uh, each, each individual is facing burnout as well. Uh, there's only so much that an individual can really do. And when that individual, that healthcare professional goes down, either through exhaustion or uh, tragically through COVID-19 infection in himself or herself, um, there is few can step behind and backfill that individual. That's the voice of Dr. Kenneth Morit Sugu. He is the former Surgeon General of the United States. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. All right, doctor, let's have some good news. <laughs> We've got a vaccine coming uh, from your role as Surgeon General. Take us through the normity, the process of trying to now vaccinate and protect so many millions of people in a timely fashion to, in a race against stopping the disease from spreading even further. Well, um, I, 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 want, I want to address that directly. Uh -huh. uh, but before addressing that, I'd like to uh, talk about the good news with regard to that. Uh -huh. And the good news has been years in the making. Uh, and that is the focus on the science and the evidence, uh, because 
you know, just a couple of decades ago, we would not have had the capability to develop uh, vaccines as quickly as we can uh, today. And uh, I, I lay that all on the scientists uh, over the last several years uh, who have investigated uh, different ways of producing these vaccines. Um, and so I think that that is really one of the good news uh, pieces that we should focus in on. However, when we really talk about it tactically, that is going to be a huge, uh, a, a huge challenge. Uh, distributing uh, the uh, vaccines um, uh, under the, the conditions that these vaccines need to be stored and used uh, to uh, the 330 million Americans alone is going to be a logistical challenge. Um, in addition to the logistical challenge, it's going to be a challenge to uh, provide it in ways that uh, we will have sufficient numbers of, uh, of doses available uh, and uh, to provide the appropriate access to, those, uh, to, to that vaccine. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, the uh, health disparities in certain geographic areas, in certain population groups, uh, minority population groups, um, and the, the fact that uh, many of these groups would have limited access geographically to, uh, to these vaccines. Fortunately, uh, it is my understanding that these vaccines are going to be available at no cost. To, uh, to, to, to our uh, American citizens. Uh, and uh, I, I think that that removes one of the major barriers to getting the vaccine out there. Um, but uh, given, given the enormity of the task, uh, I, I think that we have uh, just begun to, uh, to, to face the, the enormity and the challenge that this is going to provide us. Uh, in addition to that, uh, there is the prioritization issue. Uh, who should be in line first? Uh, and clearly, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have come forward with their recommendation that the first individuals really need to be the frontline healthcare workers, uh, and then uh, potentially those who are most at risk, those who are uh, uh, living in nursing homes based upon the science and the evidence, again, following the data uh, and uh, taking care of those who are uh, on the front lines first to make sure that they will be able to continue to remain on the front lines and continue to serve. Doctor, along those lines, how important is the science? How important is the communication from doctors in comforting people who are concerned about possible side effects or concerned about the effectiveness of this virus? Uh, I, I think that the communication aspects is, is really key uh, to this all. There are uh, individuals uh, who are uh, skeptical 
uh, about uh, the effectiveness of this vaccine. Um, And uh, from everything that I have been able to gather, uh, the FDA and its its advisory groups are looking at at, at these uh, vaccines very, very closely uh, and uh, will ultimately come forward with their recommendations. Based on that, I think it's really going to be critical for the healthcare professionals, the frontline healthcare professionals, those who interface directly with the healthcare system and the patient, the people, to have the appropriate levels of communication, the details sufficient to assuage anyone's concern, concerns, um, the the honesty to lay out when there may be uh, side effects um, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and be able to communicate these clearly and effectively to our American people. Next on New York Sports and Beyond, we'll explore how we tackle the importance of exercise, not only physically, but mentally during this pandemic on 98.7. ESPN. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's conclude my discussion with former acting Surgeon General, Dr. Kenneth Moritz Sagu. All right, doctor, let's talk about individuals now. And we've talked a lot about individuals, but let's talk about individuals putting COVID aside, but physical fitness. And let's be honest, a lot of us, and I'm raising both my hands, doctor, in, in, in honesty, are not as active physically as far as exercising as we should be. But let's talk about the importance of not only the physical fitness during this pandemic from a physical standpoint, but also from a mental standpoint. Oh, I thank you so much. I, I, I love that lead in, Larry, um, because uh, when I was still in office, I, I, I would have a, a somewhat tongue in cheek statement whenever I'd uh, be addressing a large group of individuals. Uh, I'd say, you know, um, uh we have become a much more sedentary population, a, uh, a population who has really left behind, for the most part, our physical activity and our attention on uh, maintaining our health and in prevention. Um, and uh, and uh, the Centers for Disease Control uh, has... Um, analyzed uh, the American public and uh, has come forward with an observation that two out of three individuals in America are either overweight or obese. Now, this is my tongue-in-cheek, very serious uh, observation. I said uh, to, to to large groups, I say, you don't believe me? Take a look to your left, then turn to your right. And if you don't see two people who are carrying a little bit too much weight, look down at yourself. <laughs> and uh, that never, see, n- never ceased to uh, bring a, a, an uncomfortable guffaw from the audience. Um, but for the most part, it's true. And that's one of the real difficulties in a, uh, an affluent society. Um, In addition to that, less than 5% of adults have 30 minutes of physical activity a day. 
and only one out of three people have the recommended amounts of physical activity per week. Um, Put that all together, and you can see that uh, physical activity is really key to maintaining our health and to improving our health. Doctor, what is it about exercising when I did <laughs> what is it about exercising physically that helps you better mentally? You seem as though you're in better mood. You have, uh, uh, you seem to think clearer. There, there. As I'm talking to myself, doctor, asking you these questions, there is a reason <laughs> why. And I'm just curious as to what it is that mentally we seem to be more effective and sharper when we exercise as opposed to when we don't. Well, you're and you're hitting the nail right on the head again, Larry. Um, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, this has been really focused, uh, given the fact that we are facing uh, a COVID-19 pandemic um, in, in which mental health itself has also been physically impacted. Um, exercise has been shown um, to um, reduce stress and anxiety uh, and depression, um, uh, even 20 minutes of exercise uh, has been shown to improve the immune response uh, of the body. Um, and um, it, it really is something that uh, if you are able and uh, willing and motivated to exercise uh, or even to be mobile, uh, at least 30 minutes a day, uh, your your mental status, your outlook on life uh, will be improved. Uh, it has to do with a hormone that the body produces. It's called endorphins, and uh, exercise helps with that. Now, uh, Dr. Moritz Segu, let's go a little further. Um, we can talk ourselves in and out of a lot of things. <laughs> And obviously, there is that challenge and motivation to make sure that you, once you start on your exercise program, that you continue. And a lot of us will do that. And we'll challenge that and challenge ourselves because we're in December, moving into 2021. And the amount of folks who really want to try to get themselves in shape, that always is part of a New Year's resolution. But with in, in our areas, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, with many gyms and fitness centers closed, what is it that we can do? Because we can use it as an excuse. Well, look, I would love to go work out, but my gym's closed. What am I going to do? What are some of the things we can do in our own homes? What are some of the things we can do uh, with a mask on, social distancing, and, and doing some exercise outside, even though the weather's getting chilly, uh, that, that we can continue to, to have that, that, mental, that mental clarity and physical fitness, which also will help us battle COVID-19, flu, common cold, other, other types of illnesses? Yes. Well, um, again, if you follow the science and the evidence, um, 30 minutes of activity a day uh, should be um, help protect uh, our health as well as improve our mental health. Um, Now, 30 minutes of activity doesn't necessarily mean uh, doing some intensive cardio uh, workout 30 minutes a day. Uh, It can be... uh, Uh, as simple as walking for 30 minutes a day. And it doesn't mean running either. 
it, it could mean um, uh, running a vacuum in the house um, and uh, uh, standing while you are doing work, uh, while you are um, isolated uh, and socially distant, uh, as opposed to sitting um, uh, continuously. Uh, it, it could be uh, not sitting in front of your television set for hours on end, but getting up and having that 30 minutes of activity inside the house, if not outside the house as well. There are a lot of activities that we can do, uh, such as what I have just outlined, that don't necessarily require that you've got to have exercise equipment uh, or that you've got to go to your fitness uh, facility um, that you can do in the privacy of your home. Uh, I was talking with someone just the other day, and she was describing how um, she would either use a, a CD player uh, or tune in to uh, her television stations and have a, uh, an exercise activity um, for 30 minutes uh, a day. Um, and also, given some of our new um, virtual uh, communication uh, activities, um, such as Zoom, we would be able to exercise uh, with others uh, and be motivated by others as well without uh, breaching our social distancing. So, uh, doctor, in a simple word, do something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> do something. Uh, and you, you've got to, you know, use your use common sense and use your head. Uh, and that is that uh, if there is uh, three feet of snow outside, uh, you don't necessarily want to go and walk for 30 minutes in that uh, three feet of snow. Um, but uh, even shoveling off your front doorstep. Uh, and and um, and and uh, uh, getting that kind of activity in uh, is great, um, and it really comes down to an individual uh, making that decision to become increasingly active. Dr. Kenneth Maritsugu is the former Surgeon General of the United States. He's our guest on New York Sports and Beyond this morning. I'm Larry Hardesty. Doctor, before we wrap up our conversation, which I've enjoyed immensely, and thank you once again for joining us, there's an old saying, as you know, that if you, if, if you forget history, I'm paraphrasing, you're doomed to repeat it. So going forward, when this is all done, when this pandemic, and fortunately with the vaccines and everything, I guess I, hopefully we are seeing near the end. What are we going to learn on our response? What are we going to learn from this whole COVID-19 pandemic situation, medically, physically, how it was handled, uh, the response to it, that will prevent something like this from happening again? Wow. Uh, that is going to be the million-dollar question, I think, Larry. Um, I think that um, the COVID-19 uh, the emergence uh, here in the United States and globally, uh, the response uh, that we all used, uh, the system uh, that we used to respond, uh, whether it is a local system, a statewide system, or a national system, and the role of each of those uh, components, and including 
the role of the individual in addressing uh, the response uh, within the community are all going to be uh, real areas that we can learn from and we must learn from them. Uh, we are not going to return to a normal. Uh, I think that uh, you've heard the term many times before. We're going to be in a new normal, uh, and uh, we will have to learn to adjust our society, our thinking, our response, uh, and our preparation uh, with regard to this new normal. Uh, And uh, again, not only looking at what we could have done better, but what advantages that we have today because of our current science and evidence. I referred to a while ago uh, the fact that uh, uh, several decades of research uh, has has led to uh, a new way of developing vaccines um, that uh, has facilitated our rapid identification of a uh, of a vaccine, um, and uh, I, I think that uh, we will also need to consider how we can better prepare and anticipate uh, our uh, future new normal. Uh, right now, uh, we are building on our current distribution uh, uh, capabilities to uh, to to make sure that vaccines will get out to communities uh, and populations of greatest need. Uh, That, I think, also needs to be examined and refined so that when, not if, when we are faced with another challenge of this sort in the future, we will be better prepared. And as individuals, Dr., our chore and and job is to make sure that we do the little things like exercise and go to make keep our appointments with our physicians yearly go when there's something that we feel that's not right with our bodies because sometimes we treat our cars better than we do our bodies If, if we're able to do that and do what we can do to make us as good as possible within our control that also will help us as individuals be more protected against various diseases that may come up to the best of our ability. You, uh, you're, you're spot on, Larry. Um, the COVID-19 uh, challenge has led us to have short-term prevention strategies. Um, but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that prevention is also a long-term strategy. Uh, chronic diseases such as overweight and obesity, uh, diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, kidney disease, all of which can be prevented early on. And one of the comments that I'm, I've been used to saying is, you know, uh, we can either exercise and, and exercise prevention today and reap the benefits of it long-term tomorrow, or we can avoid all of these preventive activities and be and, and, and have to live with the consequences in the future. You're a thousand percent right. 
Dr. Kenneth Moritzugu, thanks for joining us this morning. And listen, thank you for your service uh, medically, in the service, in the armed forces, as you were for a number of years, and your role as Surgeon, Acting Surgeon General for the United States, and your continued role in your writing and informing us to make sure that, listen, <laughs> there's things that we can do as individuals to make sure that we are in the best shape we can be, especially as you get older and the challenges of you racing against your body and making sure everything is in the right place and in the right order uh, is, is so important. So we thank you for your, your work and your expertise and I look forward to chatting with you again down the line, sir. Thank you for the privilege of talking with you, Larry, and talking with your audience as well. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. We thank you for listening. We'll join you later today on The Drive following Dan Grass and the legendary Greg Buttle on the Jets' fifth quarter show during the week on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday morning on New York Sports and Beyond. For my all-world producer, the legendary primetime Ray Santiago, I'm Larry Hardesty. The fine line is next, followed by Anita Marks with Fantasy Focus. Then Anita joins Chris Canty and our Mike Tannenbaum on New York Game Day at 8. Of course, it's a football Sunday on 98.7 ESPN New York.